magicians, wizards, apparitions, adult language, and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not enter the house of mystery. All right, then. On with the show. All right. Hello. Welcome, everyone, to the house of mystery. I am Michael, your host and curator of the house of mystery. Be sure to find us on iTunes and Spotify. Leave us reviews and rate the show. Hello, David. How are you? How's it going, everybody? The demon bisexual butler, of course, is here. He's gracing all of us with his presence. Yes, and the house of the house of mysteries is completely clean today. Are you sure you stuttered through that? I, I, think, did, I, did, I, I think you're lying. <laughs> Don't go into the basement. I, I, I'm not done yet. Don't worry. I'm not going to backhand you if it's not clean. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so in this episode, we have returned. We have returned to Jeff Lemire's Swamp Thing Green Hell. Not because we have been slacking. Far from it. It actually was a year ago that we covered the very first issue. And then DC delayed the release of issues two and three for just about a year. Yep. I'm not sure why, but as DC fans, we've learned that most of what DC does is a mystery. Their actions are almost like how the Vatican describes God's actions, (laughs) mysterious and beyond human comprehension. I honestly think now this is, this is just a a appetizer of my thoughts of after I read green hell number two. Mm -hmm. I honestly think they did this as a vendetta against Jeff Lemire. What do you mean a vendetta? I honestly they, they think have they did problems with Jeff Lemire. I don't think they had problems, but I think they got tired of like a lot of the criticisms. A lot of, a lot of us comic fans have given DC. And what's that? I will explain when we come down to it. Okay. All right. So fans out there or listeners, I should say, because we don't have fans who would ever be fans of us. I mean, listeners. Oh, we have fans. They like the basement of the, of our, of our nice pristine house. Okay. <laughs> I, I, those aren't, if they like the basement, they're probably prisoners. <laughs> <laughs> they're being held against their will. Same thing. <laughs> All right. So whatever the reasons why this delay was a thing, they finally dropped issue two on us. And I will say, I could argue It was well worth the wait. It's ridiculous, but well worth the wait. It is. Now, for context, Swamp Thing Green Hell number two is an issue of the series Swamp Thing Green Hell volume one, uh, which originally dropped February, I believe, of 2022. Yes. Now, since we covered that first issue, a lot has transpired. So let's refresh people's memories here. Jeff Lemire is the author of the smash hit Joker killer smile and the question, the death of Vic Sage, which we covered and loved Yes, along with a graphic novel that inspired the television sensation, sweet tooth. And, uh, this is a black label imprint story, which allows a lot greater freedom when it comes to story and also allows the artist to really paint just beautiful images that are just massive in size. I like to equate it because I'm a film guy to 75 millimeter film, 35 millimeters, regular size comics, 
the black label, just beautiful images is what they do with these, with these issues here. Yeah. Now in the story, we are introduced to a world that is all, but at its end, the last remnants of humanity cling to a mountaintop Island lost in endless flood water. The parliament of the green, the red and the rot all agree. It's time to wipe the slate clean and start the cycle of life over again. again. Yeah. And to do so, they've united their powers to summon an avatar, one of the most horrific monsters to ever stalk the surface of this forsaken planet. Against a creature like that, there can be no fighting back unless you have a soldier who understands the enemy, someone who has used his tactics before, someone like Alec Holland. Of course, <laughs> it would help if Alec Holland hadn't been dead for decades. Yes. In a lot of ways... And I'm not sure of the chronological origins of the story, meaning when Lemire started writing this, but in a lot of ways, it feels like what many in academia are calling post-epidemic musings, a form of existentialism that seeks to make sense of the world after such an event affected so many people globally. And as I said about the first issue, it seems like Lemire constructed an interesting allegory the concept being of ecological balance and the idea that within our natural world, there's a hierarchy. Yeah. And that's where he, that's where he really draws his, his narrative through things he introduced since his start with DC back in the uh, new 52 with titles like animal man and, and the original swamp thing that he ran the concepts of the parliament the Parliament of the Red, the Parliament of the Green, the Rot, the Parliament of the Black. All center around this idea of balance in the world and how humanity is like a disease. And they're tipping the scale. They tip the scale. Too far on one side. Yeah. And like it could either go in the, in the balance for the red, it could go in the balance for the green. But no matter what, it's always down to... Humanity and what humans are is like almost kind of like the detriment to the world. It's really interesting, Dave. These last two major Swamp Thing titles we've been given ran these run that ran through what 2021 and 2022. Mm-hmm. And then here we are with Lemire's run. There and Swamp Thing has done this in years past, but just in more recent times, I love the dissection of human nature and the part that humanity plays in its own destruction. Yes. Because it's, I mean, it's accurate. Number one. I mean, our, our own worst enemy is ourselves. And that's why I like this whole idea when the elementals unite the green, red, and the rot, and they discuss essentially their existence and the perceived fate if they allow this doomed future to continue because of mankind's unpredictable behavior and their destructive nature. Yeah. And like the, the one thing I've, I, I know that a lot of people were wondering was why are we getting two separate Swamp Thing <clears throat> stories that essentially do the same thing just from two different writers? Ram V's was... If you look at his storytelling, it is pretty much parallel to Jeff Lemire's storytelling. And 
after this issue, I began to realize, well, that's because Ram V is taking concepts that Jeff Lemire first started and adding on to it. Yeah. You know, in, in Ram V's series, he's adding on to more elements of the parliament. He's adding the parliament of the gears, the parliament of... Uh, there was another one. Me and you discussed that industry. We loved. It industry. wasn't parliament, but they brought in industry. Yeah, into and the equation. and like bringing in the idea that the city can talk, mm-hmm. stuff like that. He is he's adding to what Jeff Lemire started and taking his story in a in another direction. Seeing, and it's interesting when you think about it because Ram V's stance is there's hope for humanity, right? Mm-hmm. Because we saw that in Swamp Thing. Jeff Lemire's. Jeff Lemire's status is like the opposite. Yeah. No, there's no hope. Humanity sucks. <laughs> That's how I am. Kudos, Lemire. You and I think a lot alike. And this leads into what I feel why Green Hell is the way it is, not just story-wise, but also in release-wise. This is Jeff Lemire being able to end his story that he started in New 52. He started a story in New 52 with Animal Man and Swamp Thing side by side. And then his New 52 run abruptly ended because they took Jeff Lemire off and wanted him to do other superheroes because he was doing a fantastic job with Animal Man and Swamp Thing. Obviously, Jeff Lemire didn't want to do that because he wanted to finish his story. But DC editorial mandated that, nope, we're handing it off to a different person. You go off and do, I believe he jumped, they forced him to go. I wouldn't, I shouldn't say force. They gave him a choice to go do, I believe a Batman title. I think it was De- a detective comics because mm-hmm. his, his run was so well received. They said, we're going to take one of our best writers and put it on, on our mainstream flagships, not letting that writer finish his story. And then this is why green hell I think is, Jeff Lemire's way of closure closure. I want to say as a, as a creator, because think about it. Ram V came out with his and Ram V's story is beautiful. I mean, I I, think they work well adjacent or in parallel, in parallel to each other, but both, both writers are saying two different things. Using the same ideas, using the same ideas. Ram V is saying there's hope for humanity. Jeff Lemire is like, no, there's no hope for humanity. (laughs) Humanity will destroy the world. Yeah. And like, I think that's why Green Hell was made because Jeff Lemire was allowed probably because so many of his fans got behind him and said, we want to see, we wanted to see what your stance was about where does, where does your story with all that end? So, and we'll get into that because I I have questions myself. I'm not sure where this original idea came from. What, what, what storyline was it? Did you say it was the new 52 and it was the, his series of animal man and okay. swamp thing. All right. Both are different. Both, so both. Separate. Let's get into that towards the end, because if you, I would like, hopefully you have that information because you can possibly direct our listeners who yeah. might be interested in picking up those stories so they can have some, a little more context to what's happening in, in green hell. Although oh, yeah. I haven't read them and I'm following exactly what the story is supposed, the story to, be. supposed yeah. to be. If it, so if anything, it would be great ancillary information. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the issue explores some aspects, Dave, that clued us in on a few things. Number one, the reason Swamp Thing was so angry with Constantine summoning him was because Holland had seemingly made a deal with the parliament of trees, which entailed freedom or at least a reprieve. 
that gave him a type of afterlife where he can be happy within this metaphysical confine of the green with the souls of his family, <laughs> Abigail and Tifa. Yes. Is that correct? Do I got that right? Is yeah. that, is that a, what storyline did this take place in? Is this new information? Cause I don't remember. No, this is old. This is a, this when did, a, when did he allow to, when was he allowed to oh, have rest? When That's he was allowed to have rest, that was never brought up. Oh, okay. I but didn't think in, so. In the, in the prior swamp thing one, it was kind of hinted at throughout the entire thing that Alec Holland and Abigail were going to be kind of like, this bridge between humanity and the green because their child was supposed to be the ultimate avatar because she was going to embody humanity and the green together. And that was the story that he started and then ran with their new 52. And then we never got to see that to its flourishing. That's why I think green hell, you may, he makes the state, the, the, the statement he made a deal. We don't get to see it, but right. at least we were told that was what was going to be leading up to his storytelling. I think that's an interesting aspect because that's always been at the heart. Well, in, in recent, I'd say, I don't want to say recent, but later stories. I mean, Alec Holland's desire for, for love, for family, specifically when it comes to Abigail. And, and I, I like that the green was willing to give him peace, peace. to let him move on. But of course, there was some strings attached. Exactly. He was no longer allowed to interfere. And, you know, through this deal, he gave up the last tether, I believe is the exact wording, to his body. The material existence that embodied his consciousness or soul. He was no longer allowed to connect with it, essentially. So, understandably, Holland is upset when Constantine with Constantine for turning his world upside down again. And it's so funny how everyone treats Constantine exactly the same. He never gets points for wanting to save the world and people. (laughs) He never is given a formal, polite greeting. (laughs) No, no, he's not. Uh, Swamp thing upon seeing Constantine threatens to kill him outright. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's the best part. And then when Dead Man is summoned later in the issue, he doesn't even greet John. He says, save the smartest comments. I heard your summons. What do you need? And what will it cost me this time? Yes. And you notice that Dead Man Has actually says- ever well, said hello to John yeah. Hey, what's up, buddy? You notice that, that, that Dead Man actually says, what is it going to cost me this time? And I'm like going, dude, Constantine's just a dick. He does <laughs> fuck over Dead Man quite a bit. He fucks over everybody. But right? Dead Man has been at the end of that a lot. But the best part by far is that is something, that's an element that was very heavy, if you think about it, back in the New 52. Constantine would make deals that basically would fuck over his friends, and he would basically say, it's for the better good. But And it was. <laughs> we we discussed this in, in our breakdown of Hellblazer issue two. Yes. That he's essentially a consequentialist. He believes in maximizing the greatest good. And greatest if that good. means breaking a few eggs so you can make that omelet, so be it. Well, did you notice that he did, he did make that? I think it was in, I think it was in the dialogue with uh, uh, Dead Man where he says something on that, that 
sing that he needs to actually do this, even though mm-hmm. you got to actually break a few eggs, I believe he said. Oh, did he actually say that? I think he says that. And I'm like going, yeah, this just, this is the Constantine that we all know and we all understand. Yeah. It's just funny that basically at the end of time where, you know, essentially this storyline is supposed to be saying this is the end of end of the world. All the heroes are gone. These are only a few fragments of of the heroes left. Constantine's last one, and the way the dialogue between him and Dead Man go, it seems like Constantine's the one that basically is the only one that says, "Yeah, I've had to actually make a lot of sacrifices, but you guys actually allowed it, and it's okay because it's for the better good." <laughs> but then you go, "Well, look at the world, John. It's terrible." <laughs> Yeah, I, I definitely like the Constantine stuff. It, there wasn't, the there wasn't stuff, a lot yeah. there, but the stuff that was there was spot on. It makes me want Lemire to do uh, a new run for Black Label under the title of uh, the Trenchcoat Brigade. Oh, I would love that. Dude. We know he could write the question because the question series he wrote was fantastic. And he seems to doing, he seems to be understanding Based on this issue, it seems like he understands Constantine's characterization as well. But like, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the characterization of all the characters are just spot on and you would want to see that. I mean, essentially, we were able to see John Constantine, dead man, out of the trench code brigade that leaves the Phantom Stranger, who I think is honestly one of the most undervalued and unappreciated characters in all of DC Comics. But that's only because, you know, in my opinion, they kind of nerfed him <laughs> in the new 52. But yeah, the the if we're going to bring back the trench coat brigade, you bring I, back the, the right man to Le, do it. Right. Mir's the right one to do it because he can bring those elements from vertigo. Yeah, because we saw him do it with the we saw him bring those elements back from, you know, and swamp thing when he teamed up with Scott Snyder for I believe it was rot world. That okay. was volume three of of Swamp Thing. And he brought elements that were from like the vertical run that Alan Moore did into his title of Swamp Thing and Animal Man. Yeah, I had Lemire all wrong. If people go back and listen to our Yeah, you did not our like earlier him. shows, I believe I started this podcast bashing him because there were some stuff he was doing in the New 52. And maybe it's just the New 52 by design. There's just certain things you can't do. Uh, also, comic book writing was I would say it was a bit of a, in a slump it was. early 2011 to, or the early 2010s within those surrounding years of the new 52. I, I didn't particularly care for the writing at that time. I think no one really, no one really did because it just seemed so directionless. Yeah. There was no direction yeah. to it. You have these really cool elements, but it, it goes to the one criticism that I have harped on on both companies. They have great ideas. They got great ideas. But then they basically say... No follow-through. No follow-through. Because they, they basically see it and says, Oh, well, that writer's doing fantastic. Let's take that writer, rip him from his book, and put him into one of our flagships because he, his writing is going to better our flagship and better our sales. Yeah, that's what it comes down to. And it's sad, but this is this is the price we pay in comics today. And that's why 
when I look at, especially in new 52, the one thing that taught me was like, I look at a series by writer in totality. I try not to look at it as, you know, a complete run when it's done by two writers. I look at just the sole writer's totality and Jeff Lemire's run in DC 52 was one of the best because he had, he had two of the arguably best selling titles at the time. Oh, he must've been, he, the titles you read must've been great because the stuff I I read from him during the new 52 era was not very good. Well, because like there came a point when he was given characters, he didn't care. He didn't care about, he didn't want to do. He's the one I believe that. Yeah. He wrote the Constantine new 52. Yeah. The opening several issues. And I just did not like them because he, he was thrust into there because people, this is just speculation, mind you, but there were people that basically felt he did so well with other darker characters. Let's throw him at Constantine and have him tell his version of Constantine. When in actuality, Jeff Lemire wasn't really, didn't got dropped a character that he barely had any time to get attached to. Yeah. And like you had, you had him get attached to animal man and swamp thing. Now you're telling him, no, we want you to get attached to John Constantine now. Forget those guys. And maybe he just found, you know, his His his, groove, his groove, because bringing it back to green hell, everything he's doing within these issues so far, it just, it works on multiple levels. So let's get into this issue officially and start breaking down the key narrative moments. So those Swamp Thing was upset for being disturbed. He wasn't going to stand by as the Parliament of Trees destroyed humanity. Yeah. And he was then punished for interfering. And the rot, the red, and the green decided that a single avatar will not suffice. So they raise an army in the same vein as the Greek epics. It, it felt very much like Jason and the Argonauts against the, the, skeleton, the skeleton army. Yeah. Uh, the great part about this is that it really worked for me was what really worked for me was how they framed the impending chaos and the initial confrontation between Swamp Thing and the elements. It feels like they're opposing questions in relation to existence, especially when you start really digging to digging into some of the, the narration or the voiceover of Alec Holland. So it feels like they're posing questions in relation to existence, purpose, and possibly even one's own mortality. I mean, Holland asks if this is if this will truly be his end. Yes. He's overwhelmed by pain, destruction, and horror. Yes. All key factors, mind you, in this post-pandemic world we live in. That's why what I said at the top of the show matters more now that we're discussing the issue itself and the narrative and the story aspects, because you can start to see a strategy here. As I mentioned, a lot of writers post coronavirus have delved back into an existential spirit in a way that we have not seen since the early part of the 20th century. And now it's starting to find its way in lots of our our writings, comic books, books, television shows. And this feels like more of that. When you have a character asking, is this my end truly? And his 
senses are being overwhelmed by uncontrollable pain and destruction. What does that sound like? It sounds like the confusion and chaos that we're living in currently. Exactly. And like, that's where this story really, really excels. I think I, I was very, I was very kind of like, what's the word? I forgot, but I was very kind of like reluctant, reluctant about, about the title because like we're only getting three issues of this yet. He's dealing with such a deep and engrossing statement about the world. How can you do that in three issues? And like the, just the, just the fact that he's been able to do it up to this point to issue two is an amazing, amazing thing. I mean, the, I really was wondering how he was going to make it plausible of the connection of Swamp Thing helping humanity in its last days. How are you going to do that? And make it believable. Throwing in the, uh, throwing in the op, uh, opposition of Constantine and the idea that he was in a sanctuary, that he found peace. And now he, he, all he wants to do is get back to that piece. But now the green is like saying, no, you are never going to be allowed in that sanctuary. It takes that element of Alakalan as a human and ramps it up because now his motivation becomes, well, he's not going to do this because he knows that Abby and his, and his little girl would never look at him the same way if he doesn't help humanity because Simply looking at that child reminds Holland of his humanity. Well, it's interesting you bring that up, Dave, because that's pretty much the direction I was going in, too. Because they have a very interesting moment that they frame out. I believe in page nine, there's a comment that's made by the little girl. And she tells Swamp Thing, I was born into it. I didn't do anything. And essentially she was trying to understand why is this happening to me? I've done nothing. I was born into this. I didn't destroy the world. Yeah. I inherited this. Is this an ideological statement on the whole notion of the sins of the father? Because we know that Swamp Thing at its core is usually about or usually makes a statement, an ecological statement. And we know that the times we live in, as many people, well, I guess they, I guess many people believe, you know, climate, global warming, and how we have pushed this earth to its brink, and that the ones who will pay is not the ones currently living. The ones who will pay are the ones we leave behind, our children. Yes. So the sins of the father affect the children. Is that kind of the connection you were going with as well when it comes to his daughter? Yeah. Especially like when you think about like that, we all have a responsibility. We have a responsibility. Yeah. And like, think about, think about how this story first started. We are dealing with, yes, it is a swamp thing tile, but in actuality, the main characters is, I forgot the little girl's name and her father. Mm-hmm. It's a father daughter dynamic. Again, the father trying to make his daughter's life better. Even in, even if the world has gone to shit, 
he is trying to make the world a better place for his daughter. And then in the issue two, you bring in Swamp Thing. And my favorite moment is actually right before that, that, uh, or no, it was after. It was after the little girl tells Swamp Thing uh, that she was born into this world. She didn't kill the world. There we go. Yeah. And when Swamp Thing is confronted by the parliament and he basically has that memory of his daughter and Abby and he says, my daughter would not forgive me for do for letting humanity go. Yep. And that strengthens that whole ideological statement. It strengthens yeah. it. And now we're seeing that now that that formula that really solidified thread that theme that that Jeff Lemire is going about how like the sins of the father the sins of the father how yeah. we inherit our problems yeah how we inherit our our issues and we pass them down and it's only like until we actually face those issues and deal with it and try to do something about it that's how we'll make the world a better place much like how the little girl's father is and that's kind of what Alec Holland was doing, right? Sticking his head in the sand yes. and refusing to see what was actually happening to the world around him. Yeah, because remember, when he comes back, he is shocked when he steps on land and he basically says, what has happened? What has happened to the world? Well, this is what happens when you when you decide, I'm just going to go out, off into my sanctuary with Abby and live happily ever after and ignore the world. Yeah. He, we, took a, he took the selfish route. We all have a responsibility. And, and just as a fan of like the past storylines of Swamp Thing, I never thought Lemire would have gone that route to actually show that the happy ending that we as Swamp Thing fans, when he first was writing with Scott Snyder and Swamp Thing, we thought the happy ending between Swamp Thing and Abby was noble. But here, it's almost... Jeff Lemire turned it on its head and basically said, no, it's a selfish choice because Alec is making that choice by literally ignoring the world. He ignores his responsibility as the avatar. Right. So in a lot of ways, his choice is the, his, his noble choice is actually what dooms the world. Yeah. And then suddenly now humanity has to inherit that problem that Alec created because he chose a selfish choice. Yeah. Pretty interesting how they're tying in everything and making it work, all those different themes and even those ecological statements, our responsibility, that's, sense of the father. It, it's a, there's a lot of components That's why I said, to the first two issues so far. That's a lot of components, but it's only three issues. It's a, only a three-issue series, if I'm not correct. I haven't read issue three yet. I have it, but I haven't had a chance to look through it. If he continues to write the hell out of these issues, then I'm sure he'll bring this story to a satisfying conclusion because look how much he's done with just two issues. Mm -hmm. Because even though you can point to issue two, you could say it's a negative that there really isn't a lot of plot progression because there really there isn't. isn't. There isn't. Almost none. Honestly, when you look at where we ended with issue one, and where we ended with issue two, we're almost exactly where the first issue started, except Swamp Thing has made his appearance. A lot of it is cerebral, though. As I mentioned, it's like a type of a metaphysics where we're inside of this world and we're trying to figure out where his head's at and his family and his loved ones, the deal he made with the Parliament of the Green or the Parliament of the Trees. So it was more, I don't want to say it was plotless. I mean, obviously there's plot there, 
but it was more filling in the gaps. Yeah, it's it is more just like what you said, psychological. Yes. This and is psychological storytelling. I mean Yeah, a bit, yeah. When you look at the characters, especially that he chose, the characters that he's talking or that he brought in for Swamp Thing are all characters that have made questionable decisions based on good intentions. Dead man. Dead man we know have made, has made many, many decisions in the comics that are very questionable morally. But, you know, he, it's masked as he's doing it for the betterment of, betterment of the, the better for the good. Better for the good. Better for the good. <laughs> Are you betterment, losing your mind? The as betterment well, David? of humanity. There's where I was. The betterment of humanity. You mix that up with the greater the, good. The greater good. <laughs> but like, and then you have Constantine. Yeah. Who is just like you, just like what we mentioned earlier, is kind of like the type of character that will make a decision that we know is immoral, but to Constantine, it's for the greater good. He's trying to save the world. He's trying to save the world. Swamp Thing made a choice because he felt he just wanted to actually have something good for a change. When you think of the, how tragic that character's history is, you know, how he was born, his origin, what he's been through, being treated as a monster. Yeah, honestly, it, it makes sense that he would just want to be, live happily ever after with someone that actually loves him and actually create a family that is a loving environment. Of course. That makes sense. But because he does that, it's, it has its consequences. So, David, the, the question I have, though, is who's Maxine Baker? <laughs> now, by the end of the issue, Constantine and Deadman yes. make their way to Nanda Parbet, where we are introduced to Maxine, a.k.a animal woman yes so do you want to fill us in okay on who this character is and why she's important to this particular story yes sure because like not a lot of people know about this character he's a very underutilized character but when jeff lemire wrote him he became like the hottest character during the time everyone wanted to read that the, uh, the series and it's animal man Maxine is the, the daughter of Buddy Baker, who is the original Animal Man. He is the, ava the original avatar of the Red. The so, so it says here Grant Morrison is the creator of Animal Woman. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Grant Morrison created Animal Woman. But, of, course, of course he did. But <laughs> the whole concept of Animal Man's family was set out. Was set out. By Lemire. By Lemire. Okay. Because Lemire's storytelling... In uh, in his original animal animal man run, was essentially a story about a family trying to live, being uh, having a superhero dad, and the horrors of it. So, Animal Woman, yeah, is what she was born to be the Avatar of the Red, essentially. Is essentially, yes, because uh, Buddy Baker was the original Avatar. So if Buddy Baker gets removed from the equation. His bloodline is the only ones that could be the avatar of the red. It was supposed to be a son. So now we didn't see, we didn't see this, but Lemire coming back and say, Maxine, the daughter, the youngest of the, of the Baker family was the one who 
ends up becoming the the last avatar of the red means that her father died and her her brother died and her mother is ellen uh i forgot the mother's name i think it is yeah she was the old woman that was also in the issue her name was ellen i believe yes. so yeah ellen baker ellen baker and that in itself is also kind of like a tragic thing because the Animal Man series was actually really well done, and it was it, the whole premise and themes in it was the strength of family, and how Buddy Baker was dealing be, being the superhero, and his children had to watch their father in in uh, on the TV and on the news doing all these superheroic things, but it was super dangerous. Like that's when they brought in the idea of the different parliaments attacking each other. And you had the, the, that's when the rot showed up and attacked Animal Man and put his family in danger. Okay. So also in the hunt, the totems of the parliament of the limbs. Yes. Explained to Maxine. And this is what's important to this particular issue, uh, that she was meant to be the avatar of the red from the very beginning. And buddy, which is her father was merely meant to protect her and train her until she was ready to lead in the fight against the threat of the rot. So if they're taking that story element and putting it into this issue, we can see now the direction we're going in, in issue three, for some reason she has pushed her birthright aside. Yeah. For whatever reason. And we're going to find on issue three that she's going to have to take that mantle and become the avatar of the red. Yes. And if she does so, we can now see how Constantine and Swamp Thing will indeed have a powerful ally against the fight, specifically against the rot. Because if she was designed to fight against the threat of the rot, well, there you go. And Alec Holland can then fight as well side by side. It's a good team up. It's a good team up. That makes I mean, sense. They were they were essentially when you take a look at the two characters, they were made for each other to team up. And when Jeff Lemire was writing, we were all expecting this collision to happen. And that's when when they introduced Maxine in this, I immediately went, "Oh, the reason behind this series is because this is going DC is allowing Jeff Lemire to give his ending that he was never able to give back in 2012." That's when he wrote for Animal Man and when he wrote with Scott Snyder with uh, Swamp Thing. That was like 2012, 2013. And now we got Green, uh, Green Hell. This, is his, this was going to be his conclusion. Which, dude, it made me slightly angry, but also slightly happy because like if Lemire was going to go this tragic route, I don't know if his series would have been as loved as it is today because a lot of people really loved his run with Scott Snyder and Swamp Thing and his run and Animal Man in New 52. And more or less when he left, a lot of people were like, oh, it's too bad we don't get to see like his conclusion because everyone under the sun, probably fan wise, was thinking we were going to get a happy ending. Green Hell shows us, no, Lemire was actually thinking that he was going to give a tragic ending. Well, either way, no matter how you look at it, even if they defeat the parliaments, the world has still neared its extinction. Yeah. So it is a tragic story. It's a tragic story. (laughs) It's also a, a 
a morality tale of sorts. It, it and, and it goes to like what we said earlier. For me, I I realized that Jeff Lemire's story is the is the opposite of Ram V. Ram V is more hopeful. I think. I yeah. think. I think Ram V's ending because we saw it when he did. Uh, I think it was Future's End. Future state. Future state. We know what his ending was. Because even though that was bleak in itself, it still had it hope. Ended with hope. Yeah. This one, Jeff Lemire's ending is not going to be happy. Well, because either way, I don't. Either way, I don't see Alec Holland being able to go back to his family. No, I don't think so. But even if he wins, I don't see there being a play, especially if he went against the deal. But we'll see. Issue three, we'll be covering soon. David, I want to bring this show to an end. My final thoughts are I loved it. It was a great installment in this three-part run. It's not as strong as the first issue. No. But it did do what it needed to do. It filled in the blanks, gave us a few extra questions, set things up for the final issue. Uh, I will give this issue a 90%. So even though it's not as good as the first issue, it's still really strong yeah there's a lot of intent a lot of purpose a lot of clever aspects to this issue what about you david what's your rmd score i gave this one as funny as it sounds because i have come to this conclusion that this was jeff lemire's swan song and that's why we get the way it's story told it kind of hurt my score because essentially we have you have to know the backstory of everything to see how tragic I don't know the backstory and I, okay. When it comes to the true tragic nature, true tragic nature of everything. Yes. Possibly there's an argument to be made, but based on just the first two issues, I don't feel like a reader coming in is going to have questions. I feel like he's giving us enough information so, so that the reader who may not be privy to his other work is well aware of what's happening in the story. Oh yeah. And that's why I kind of hemmed and hot about my score. But at the end I came up with a 88 because I wanted to be with you with a 90, but there was just something that bothered me that I'm like going, it left a bad taste in my mouth at the end when I actually realized, Oh man, this is actually his swan song. This is why most likely why we've been waiting for so long for it because DC's like going, eh, he's waited this long. We'll make him wait longer. <laughs> we'll make him wait another year because we made him wait since 2012 to actually get here. They're going to release one issue a year. <laughs> <laughs> Just to slowly torture him. <laughs> okay, so over at Comic Book Roundup, the general critic rating for issue two is 9.1. It's actually higher than issue one which was 8.5 well because so that's curious because i think every all the fans are becoming to realize that if you're a fan of jeff lemire's run in dc just in general this is something that you need to be watching uh, reading because this is his culmination of what he felt his dc story was going to end yeah the user rating is a little bit lower it's 8.9 so still not bad that's still no, it's bad. still a very high. In fact, the overall score is sitting at 8.9 from the critical side and from the average user rating, 88.8. So it's actually kind of close to ours. Yeah. But that's, that, that brings up a really valid question that I want to ask you is like, did you, do you think that that's a bad thing that basically you need to know the whole story to get really that gravitas of how tragic this I story is? I don't feel like you need to know all of that. 
Yeah. I feel like you knowing all that is preventing you from enjoying this story full, full, more fully because you know what he's doing. Yeah. But if you remove that, it is a close ended tight story. Tight story. It may rely on things that came before. I mean, you're dealing with Constantine Swamp Thing and Maxine Baker. It, these, yeah. these characters come with history. And for the most part, you don't need to know all their history to enjoy the story. And I feel like Lemire is doing a pretty good job continuing his storyline while also making sure new readers can understand and follow. All right, this does bring us to the end. We'll be back soon with another discussion. In fact, I believe our next episode, David, is going to be dedicated to covering the story, the John Constantine story that takes place in the Harley Quinn romances. <laughs> I believe is the name of it. Yes. Which is a one-shot anthology series. So, listeners out there, Make sure you catch up on that issue so you can follow along as we discuss. Thank you, David. Thank you. Cheers, wankers. See you never.